This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law, joining us via Skype, and our guest, Catherine Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz, and it's wonderful to have uh, Katie on this morning. Uh, she is a senior associate, as you mentioned, at um, the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi. And so we have all, all parts of the state represented today, uh, me in North Mississippi, you in Jackson, and Katie's down in uh, Biloxi. But it's a great show and an important show because she'll be talking about uh, child custody and third-party, typically grandparental rights. So uh, welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And if you could just tell us a little bit about your practice areas and why you chose family law. Sure. So I began working with Seymour Law Firm a few months ago, um, probably about six or seven months ago. And family law is just something that I've always been interested in. I've had a little experience with it when I was in law school. I worked at Mission First Legal Aid Clinic, which is a um, nonprofit-based organization in Jackson, which catered to the lower-income community. And one of the main things that we provided was family law assistance, domestic relations, you know, child custody, and things of that nature. So I knew going into the Seymour Law Firm that that could be something, you know, that I could contribute to since I had a little bit of experience with it. And um, since I've started with Seymour Law Firm, I, you know, just tried to fill the need because family law is just something that we read calls every day with people um, having family law issues. So, you know, I just tried to jump in and fill. Right. The working at the nonprofit legal clinic certainly seems like a fabulous way to give back to the community and also a way for families and those in need to uh, receive their their legal assistance. Uh, what is the is the clinic still uh, in work in in operation where you worked before? Yes, I believe it is. It was run by um, Patty Gandy, who was an adjunct professor professor at Mississippi College School of Law in Jackson. I believe it is headed by another person right now, um, but I believe they're still operational. Um, and, you know, they do fabulous work because otherwise, you know, this is some legal assistance that people otherwise would not have access to. So what they do is really, really important. Well, that's wonderful. And, um, well, let's let's talk a little bit now about child custody. And, and so, you know, what is, what is child custody? I know uh, in Florida, where I'm also a member of the bar in Florida, I should say, and, and um, I in Florida... Uh, they talk about shared parental responsibility rather than custody. And in Mississippi, uh, the courts still look at custody. So what, what is custody exactly? 
So child custody in Mississippi is kind of a two-pronged deal. Um, there's physical custody, which refers basically to where the child lives, you know, which parent and which kind of situation they have, whether one parent has primary physical custody, which means that the child lives with one parent for the majority of the time, and the other parent can have visitation, which is usually like one or two weekends a month. And then the other prong is legal custody, which refers to the decision-making authority regarding the child's health, education, uh, general welfare, just the important life decisions of the child. So those are the two prongs of child custody in Mississippi. And this can either go to one parent or both parents, which is referred to as joint custody, or it can go to a third party, such as a grandparent in some circumstances. This morning, we're talking about family law, child custody, grandparent rights with our guest, Katie Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm. If you have a question, we would love for you to give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Katie, what do the courts look at in, in determining custody? So the overarching consideration that a judge will consider or look at when determining child custody is the best interest of the child. And that's the overarching consideration. And when they're looking at the best interest of the child, they look at the Albright factors. And the Albright factors come from a Mississippi case, Albright v. Albright, and it it lays out some factors that the judges should consider, such as the age of the child, the health and sex of the child, which parent had continuity of care of the child prior to the separation, basically which parent took over the most responsibility prior to the divorce or separation, which parent has the best parenting skills, Um, which parent is... um, more willing and more capable of providing primary care. Um, They look at the employment and the employment responsibilities of each parent, you know, which parent um, is going to be there to be able to get the child, you know, if one parent has crazy work schedule hours. They will also look at the physical and mental health of the parents. They'll look at the emotional ties between the parent and child, you know, the closeness in the relationships. Um, They'll look at the moral fitness of the parent. Um, They'll also consider the preference of the child if the child is 12 or older. Um, And then they'll look at the stability of the home and the home record and the community and school record of the child. And they'll also consider other factors. That's not an exhaustive list. It's just a general list laid out in that case. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the overarching consideration is the best interest of the child. So when they talk about best interest of child, what you mentioned the, the, the list that uh, the courts look at in Mississippi, they must look at in the Albright factors. But OK, so what would some of those other factors be that, you, that you've seen that they might consider uh, in determining whether uh, the child is more suitable to be with one parent or the other? So some of the other factors that can come into play, um, you know, are which parent is just going to be able to take care of the child in the best way if, you know, they have a crazy work schedule such, you know, like if they're deployed in the military for months on end, then obviously custody is going to go to the other parent. And it's not really about which parent can provide best, but if one parent's more available, 
and it's going to be in the best interest of the child to be with that parent. Have you ever seen a situation? I mean, what if the parents have uh, different religious backgrounds? Does that come into play, or uh, could that come into play? Um, I guess it could come into play. I've never personally um, seen anything with religious um, experiences. You know, if the child is doing well going to church, and then the other child, and then the other parent just doesn't, you know, either go to that church or the child really isn't um, enjoying going to that church and it's having some sort of detrimental effect on the child, um, then a court would likely consider that. Again, the overarching consideration being what's in the best interest of the child. That makes sense. We're talking about uh, child custody, family law, grandparents' rights. We'd love to take your call, and we have a call right now from Charlie in Laurel. Charlie, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, I have one thing I'd like for you to discuss after I uh, hang up, and that is the lack of protections for children under age of three in the state of Mississippi. But I would like to also comment, I question what's in the best interest of the child. Uh, last Friday, based on a telephone call in which uh, evidence which is not even admissible in court, which was presented uh, with a telephone call with a chance report and a GAL, my daughter's child was removed from her and has been granted temporary custody to the father who has been under two protective orders since December as a result of uh, what is alleged abuse. So uh, I'd like to, and with no hearing, I'd like to hear your comments on that. Thanks for calling in, Charlie. Um, Katie Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi, what is a GAL? A guardian ad litem is a court-appointed attorney, and they are basically the attorney for the child. They don't represent the parents. They don't represent the guardians on either side. They are just looking out for the best interest of the child. And, you know, they do home studies. They conduct interviews with all parties, basically, who have access to the child. They conduct interviews with the child and try to get um, a good feel of the situation, a good feel of the home life, what the child's going through. If there's allegations of abuse or neglect, you know, they will make the home visits and they will make those determinations um, and considering what the best interest of the child is. And then they will make a report, um, either written or oral, and they will give it to the judge at um, the appropriate hearing at the appropriate time. If a, for example, if an incident was reported to the court about a child in a custody dispute, is there much investigation? Do they do they take any reports? As uh, as the truth, how how are those investigated? Do you mean by a guardian ad litem, or possibly by police or other authority? Um, anyway, well, if it is an allegation of um, you know abuse or neglect, then you know either DHS or CPS can get involved um, first and foremost, and they can make the determination 
probably quicker than a guardian ad litem in a court could to, you know, get the child out of there. And then afterwards, a guardian ad litem, once there's a court date in, in place and everyone has been provided notice, then the guardian ad litem will go back and, and make her report and recommendation. But if it's a very serious allegation, generally, I you know, the police and Child Protective Services, DHS, would intervene first. All right. We're going to continue our discussion of family law after the break. If you have a question about the laws concerning divorce, custody, grandparents' rights, we'd love for you to call us 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. How frequent are multi-generational households? We'll tell you when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. We have also covered family law on some previous episodes, November 13th, 2018, and April 17th, 2018. You can find them at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. They're also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. According to the U.S. Census, one in ten grandparents live in the same home as a grandchild, and in the majority of those households, the grandparent is the householder. This morning, we're talking about family law, divorce, child custody, grandparents' rights with attorney Katie Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi. Um, Katie, one more thing to get back to our previous caller, Charlie's question. Are there different uh, custody discussions or protections if the child is under three? If the child is under three, that's usually considered um, the tender tender age years, where um, typically the child is more is considered, um, you know, of a tender age, and therefore they will typically, if it's possible, give custody to the mother. Um, you know, there are special considerations. Um, that a mother, you know, whether she's breastfeeding the child, you know, she would need to have custody of the child to take care of it. Um, but other than that, I'm not aware of any special considerations for children under three, unless um, unless I'm missing something. 
All right. Well, we have a couple of phone calls to get to this morning. Sarah, we're glad that you've called in from Oxford. You're on in legal terms. Go ahead, please. Yes. Um, I have an adult daughter and uh, ex-son-in-law. They have an 11-year-old son. They're divorced. My daughter suffered a traumatic brain injury uh, about 15 years ago and is now suffering some mental health issues. I was recently appointed conservator over my daughter. Because of those mental health issues, the city uh, judge... Sarah, I think we... Can you continue with your, your question? You were appointed conservator over your adult daughter? Yes. And what was your question? So my real question is... Do I now, as conservator, have any additional rights regarding my grandson that I would not have been afforded just as a grandparent? Katie, were you able to hear that question? I, it's really, it's really hard to hear. Could you repeat the question for me, please? Yes, as the conservator of my adult daughter, who is the mother. Do I now have any additional rights as a conservator that I would not have been afforded as a grandparent? Sorry, Liz, can you can you repeat the question for me? I can. Sarah was talking caller. about her adult daughter had a traumatic brain injury and had is now seeking some uh, mental health treatment. And Sarah is the conservator for her adult daughter. And Sarah mm-hmm. wondered if Sarah had any additional custody rights over the grandchild, the 11-year-old grandson, other than just being a grandparent. Well, if Sarah, if Sarah's daughter has been adjudicated, you know, with a physical incapacity that makes her incapable of taking care of the child, then you know I would need to look at the conservatorship orders um, from the court. You know, hopefully they would have addressed it there, or um, you know, if if Sarah's daughter is unable to care for her child, then. You know, a third party should, you know, be able to come in at that point, whether it be, I'm not sure what the situation is, if, if Sarah is married, um, if, and if Sarah is, if Sarah's daughter is married, then, you know, the husband would have custody of the child, and, but, you know, without more facts, I would, you know, I couldn't answer that fully without looking at everything. Hey, Katie, I know we're going to get into this later, but there, there. Even if there's, she doesn't have custody rights. She may have visitation rights. Is that is that correct? Yes, that could be that could be correct. And where are some ways that a individual could find out more about their legal rights? Uh, would it just be to employ a law firm? Are there are there websites? Where can someone find out more information about what their custody rights may be for their specific situation? Well, you know, with everyone having their own specific situation, it would be best to contact a family law attorney and just get a consultation with them, you know, whether they've been involved in a court proceeding with child custody and visitation or whether they're just looking for general information regarding their their rights and visitation rights. It would definitely be best to contact a um, experienced family law attorney. 
And if you don't have one already, the Mississippi Bar, is that uh, specialty listed on their website? Yes, I believe so. And if you're unable to afford the services of an attorney, there are several um, nonprofit and free services. Like I mentioned, if you're in the Jackson area, Mission First Legal Aid Clinic is a great place to go if you have questions. Um, Also on the coast, there's the Mississippi Center for Justice. And and we have uh, the North Mississippi Rural Legal Services here in in North Mississippi, and we've had them on the show before, and they provide a lot of service. So there's no no reason not to to try to find an attorney if you're in that situation. But, Liz, there is a website uh, that the Mississippi Bar actually has. Um, It's uh, www.msbar.org, and I think – uh, you know, you can post this on the on the blog later, but it's uh, for public and consumer information that they actually have some information about child custody. But I agree with Katie. You want to each situation is different. So you got to you got to talk to somebody who will be able to handle your specific uh, problem. All right, Sarah. Well, we hope that we helped you with that. If you have a question about family law, about divorce or maybe grandparents rights, give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring, that's 1-877-672-7464. We realize everyone's situation is unique, and they... Our attorneys will not be able to address your situation specifically, but they can help you understand what the laws are regarding custody. Now we have Donna, who has called in from Jackson, Mississippi. Donna, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Thank you. I was uh, confused if grandparents actually do have rights in Mississippi or not. All right. Uh, Katie, what are grandparents' rights in Mississippi? Sure. Grandparents' rights are um, typically, you know, if one parent dies or one parent has their rights terminated, then a grandparent can step in and petition the court for grandparents' rights visitation. Um, Another situation that a grandparent can get grandparents' rights is when the parent is, um, or both parents are unreasonably denying the grandparent their visitation with the child. And um, typically, in the second scenario, grandparents have to prove a few things to establish this visitation. And that is um, that, first, that they have a viable relationship with the grandchild and that the parent or custodian of that child is unreasonably denying the grandparent visitation with the child. And then, like I talked about earlier, the overarching consideration in all child custody matters and visitation is that the visitation with the grandparent and grandchild is in the best interest of the child. And um, what a viable relationship means, basically, is that the grandparent has, you know, in good faith and willingly provided financial support to the grandchild for, you know, not less than six months. And they've also had frequent visitation previously with the child, including overnight visits for a period of not less than a year. So, so, yes, in some circumstances, grandparents do have visitation rights, but it's usually in one of those categories that I mentioned. So a lot of their uh, ongoing rights would depend on their past relationship with the child. That is true. Um, or, you know, if it's in the first situation that I described, like one parent passes away or it's a divorce and one parent is given primary custody, 
then at that point, the grandparent could petition for for rights of visitation. All right, we're talking with uh, Katie Shireman, Catherine Shireman, about family law. She's with the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll get to our other calls. Jessica and Lisa, hold on. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Legal Terms at mpbonline.org is our address. What's the divorce rate in Mississippi? We'll have that statistic when we come back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There are many different podcasting platforms. I happen to like Podcast Addict. I downloaded it to my phone touched the plus that took me to the page to search for podcasts then i typed in in legal terms in the search area it brought up in legal terms i was able to touch the photo then subscribe and i'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up according to the cdc the divorce rate for mississippi is 2.9 per 1,000 people, which puts us tying with four other states for the 16th lowest rate. This morning, we're talking about family rights with our guest, Catherine Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi. And we do have a couple of calls on the line. First, we're going to go to Jessica in Lumberton. Jessica, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead, please. Yes, um, I have a friend that uh, just got a divorce, uh, and uh, they have a a daughter together. Uh, She's four, and um, uh, he he has uh, supervised visitation uh, with his parents being the supervised uh, people. Um, Now, uh, he uh, drinks and all that stuff, and... Uh, he was not allowed to drive with the daughter or be alone with the daughter without the parents there. Um, the last visit that, uh, I mean, he has a visit, but my um, friend has uh, custody, and uh, she was riding in the car with her daughter, and her daughter just says out of the blue, um, my daddy got in a wreck and I hurt my leg. And so we know that he's driving with her without any supervision, probably drinking. That's why he had a wreck. But there's no evidence of it. She's only four. And my friend is afraid that because there's no evidence that something bad is going to happen. 
Um, so what can she do to pursue this? So, Katie, uh, Lisa was talking about um, the husband of a friend has supervised visitation, but apparently is those rules are not being followed. What happens when rules aren't being followed for supervised visitations? Well, one thing the parent can do who has uh, primary custody is hire an attorney and um, get them to file a motion for contempt um, and basically cite the grounds that are not being followed in the child custody papers, such as, you know, not driving um, unsupervised with the child. And, you know, the court would have to just take testimony. And if the only evidence that you have is, you know, what your child is telling you and, you know, you believe that the child, you know, is either exhibiting signs of, you know, they have bruises on their legs or, you know, they've been to a hospital to be to be treated for whatever injuries um, you know, and then the supervisors would also need to be at that hearing and they would have to testify as to, you know, whether during the visitation period, if they were, if they were actually there or not. But okay. if there's an emergency um, situation the thing is, going on um, during those supervisors, four and I would the only evidence we have requesting is an emergency what? Jessica, if you could hold on just a moment. Katie is trying to uh, ad- address the, the question. Katie, can you repeat that, please? Yes, I was saying that if it's an emergency situation where the child's um, life is, you know, in danger at that moment, I would go ahead and request an emergency hearing to get in quicker to see the judge and, you know, give them the facts and circumstances of why, you know, during the supervised visitation, the child is in danger due to the fact that the parent is not following um, the orders of the court or, you know, they're drinking and driving with the child in the car and things of that nature. Now, do do we have to wait until she gets hurt? Because... She said she hurt her leg, but, you know, they didn't take her to the doctor or anything like that. So do no, we have I to wait until she waiting gets hurt? Until she's hurt? If she is saying that, you know, dad is, is drinking and driving while I'm in the car, then that's that's an emergency situation that the court would need to be notified of immediately to get that remedied and get that visitation modified. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in, Jessica. Bye-bye. We have another call. We'd like to go to Lisa in Clinton. Lisa, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm calling because I I need some um, advice about a paternity test I was taking. Um, me and my, my ex, we, um, we weren't married, but um, I had a child. He did not sign the birth certificate at birth. Years later, he decided he wanted her to have his last name. So we um, did a, sent the papers in and had the birth certificate changed to his name. Okay, we sent him, we separated, and um, I was trying to get him to help me with her. So I put him on the child support. And he said that the child wasn't his, so he um, wanted the test. Well, the test come back, the child is not his. So my situation now is he claims he can take me to court, and he thinks he still has some right 
to her, and um, uh, I, I just need to know, you know, what I need to do and what does he have right. Katie, were you able to hear that question? I was able to hear, I think, a, a little bit of it. Um, I believe Lisa w- was saying um, uh, if an individual is part of a child's life, but then it turns out from a paternity test that they're not uh, uh, the the parent, do they still have rights? Um in certain situations they they can still have obligations and rights if even if you know the paternity test comes back uh, and it turns out that they're not the father if at the time the child was born they signed the birth certificate they signed you know either an affidavit of paternity and then they they cared for the child they acted you know as a part of the child's life for you know, a significant period of time they developed a relationship, they acted as a parent, then they could still be obligated to support and care for that child. Um, and then they would also have, have certain rights that go along with that. Um, I would need a little more information, you know, regarding, you know, whether he was adjudicated the father um, or if, you know, what sort of arrangement was going on there. What, what what we did was have the um, birth certificate changed, the name, and it was um, a form filled out by the notary public and then sent into the state finals record. Now, did he, did, was paternity ever established by a court, or did he sign the birth certificate or an affidavit of paternity at the time the child was born? Not when she was born. This was months later. Years later, he decided he wanted her to have his name. And both of us all along thinking that the child was his. And then when um, when it came down, we separated. When it came down for time for him to pay child support, he told the DHS that he wanted to test. So the test come back that he was not the mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it just depends on your particular situation and if but if he was acting as the father and if he you know went as far as to sign an affidavit stating that he was the father or um, signing the birth certificate stating that he was the father and acted as the father thereafter then he could still be obligated okay what do I what is my next move then so did the court intervene to take the paternity test, or did he do that voluntarily? He volunteered. Um, it's either it's either him. He was going to pay child support starting that day, or if he denied the child, it just it just prolonged the child support. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would definitely contact a family law attorney and give them you know all of the facts and you know, in your situation and see what they think is the best course of action. I, you know, I would think that filing something with the court stating that um, listing the facts and circumstances of the relationship between the father or the alleged father and the child in their relationship and his obligation to provide support because he's acted as the father for such a long period of time. Okay. All right. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lisa. We're happy that you were able to uh, call and participate with us today. Katie, uh, you know, one, one question, you know, it, it, is it when does a someone lose their parental rights? I mean, and could the person in that, that last circumstance, I know you don't know all the, all the facts and neither do we, but could he give up his parental rights? Is there a way a parent could say, I, you know, I, I maybe I've been treated as a parent, but I don't want my rights or obligations. How does that work? How does someone lose custody? How do they lose their parental rights? Well, there's a few ways. Um either, you know, like you said, in that situation, they can voluntarily give up their parental rights. And that just, um, you know, that's a, a core document that they will just sign and basically state that they wish to sever the relationship between the child and the parent. And um, so that's voluntary. And then there's also involuntary um, when parental rights are terminated. And that's a very serious action that the court takes. Um or, you know, there are temporary custody orders which can either place custody of the child with the state or another person if the parent or, you know, both parents are going through a situation that it looks like reunification is going to be possible in the end. But termination is a permanent situation, um, and there are certain situations that would cause a parent to lose custody and some of those are mental illness that's not likely to be cured in any any foreseeable future a physical incapacity that renders the parent unable to care for the child um, alcohol or drug abuse um, if the parent has abandoned the child for a long period of time leaving them in the custody of someone else that's grounds for uh, termination of parental rights if the child is being neglected or abused um, and some other situations if the parent has been convicted of a sort of um, sexual abuse crime against a child any child it doesn't have to be their child or if the parent is convicted of murder or one of the lesser included offenses to murder those are all situations when a parent could um, lose their their parental rights All right. We need to take our next break. We'd love for our listeners to be a part of our show. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest today is Katie Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi. We are talking about family law, divorce, child custody, grandparents' rights. Where could a mother or father get information about child support? We'll tell you when we come back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. He's a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our 
guest today is Katie Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm in Biloxi. We're talking about family law, family rights right now, and we have a call that we're going to get to. It's Tim in Mobile. Tim, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms. Go ahead, please. Hi. Well, my question isn't about uh, family law. Uh, but maybe you guys can, can run this over real quick and get back to the subject. I was running an errand for my employer and in my personal vehicle and backed into a, a telephone pole accidentally, of course, did actually quite a bit of damage to my new car. Uh, my insurance won't cover it. Um, and my employer says, no, that's not our fault. We're not responsible for that. But everything I can read online seems to indicate that, yes, they would be. Can you guys clarify? Well, there, there is a doctrine in tort law. You know, again, that can't be specific about your employment situation and what your contract might say and what their insurance might say. But I know, for example, when I travel for the University of Mississippi, I have to get a travel authorization that says that I am traveling for uh, my employer. And in that case, uh, anything, any accidents that I would cause while I was in that uh, that position uh, doing something on behalf of my employer would be covered by my employer's insurance. That's you know that's a specific situation, uh, and I do think you would have to check the with the insurance company of, of your employer. I mean certainly you know there's a as long as you weren't out uh, and drinking and doing going off on what they call a frolic of your own. Typically, the employer is responsible for the actions of their employees while they're in the act of employment. All right. And this doesn't just include like damages to someone else's vehicle because it was a single car situation. So it would be just my automobile. It, it really shouldn't matter. I mean, that's uh, but again, that's I, I don't know your specific situation. I don't know what the circumstances were. But typically speaking, if you're doing something on behalf, for example, if I'm if I'm uh, driving a uh, a delivery truck, uh, or I'm, del- I'm delivering for a pizza uh, place. You know, it's certainly there. You know, they could be responsible if I have an accident while I'm, I'm doing pizza delivery. Uh, that's why Domino's went away from their 30 minutes or less guarantee because they were having so many accidents uh, with drivers trying to get there uh, before the, the 30 minutes. So, I mean, they had to change their policy. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And this kind of reinforces what what I had been able to uh, um, find online. And um, I think the the only way I'm going to get my money is if I sue them in small claims court. But Alabama being, you know, pretty much a right-to-work state, yes, I win that money, and then the next day I'm out of a job. So so there is that. But I just kind of wanted some, some, some more information. Thank you so much. Certainly. Thanks for calling in today, Tim. We just have a few minutes left, uh, Katie. We've been talking about family law today. Let's let's get to one thing that we hope doesn't happen, but I'm sure does, is a ground for revocation of custody could be parents' rights is neglect. Tell us about what neglect means and what is medical neglect? Sure. So medical neglect is um, something that occurs to a child when the parent 
um, is unwilling or incapable refuses to provide the necessary care for the child, basically meaning the necessities of life, uh, food, shelter, clothing, um, and medical care. So a branch of neglect is medical neglect, and that's um, when the parent is unwilling or incapable, incapable of providing the necessary medical treatment a child needs. Um, I, you know, one case would be possibly uh, refusing to give a blood transfusion um, to save the child's life during surgery, um, failing to treat a broken bone, um, and then the you know bone heals incorrectly after that. Situations like that. You know, uh, Katie, it's it's interesting. I am coaching a family law moot court team that will be going to Albany, New York, at the end of next week, and the the issues are. Uh, parental uh, neglect uh, from an emotional issue of the child, and then grandparent uh, visitation. So, you know, these are these are uh, you know very interesting and important topics. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and and I've read that um, I know a hot topic around the country is um, vaccination and, and vaccinating your children, and that interestingly enough is not that that does not rise to the level of medical neglect, choosing to not vaccinate your children. You know, there are some states that are talking about making it uh, uh, medical Mm -hmm. neglect, and that would be interesting, especially after the outbreak of measles in Oregon and places like that. So uh, really interesting topic. Definitely. I'm interested to see how that develops. Absolutely. Well, you know, speaking, you know, uh, we talk about visitation and one of the uh, callers talked about grandparent visitation. And you mentioned how grandparents could could establish visitation rights. But um, what about other third parties? Do could there be any other third parties that, you know, that aren't parents who might be able to establish visitation rights other than grandparents? Certainly. And um, grandparents don't have any other don't have any more special rights than another relative to the child. Um, It's just the overarching consideration, like I've said time and time again, is if it's in the best interest of the child. If the if the third party has a special relationship with the child, has, you know, provided support to them, um, you know, and if the parent is if their rights have been terminated and, you know, there are no grandparents alive, then obviously it you know, custody would go to a different relative at that point. And that makes sense. You do hear about people whose uh, aunts have taken care of them uh, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting because the, the uh, moot court problem is a situation where the parent's position on how to take care of the child's emotional and, and mental health issues differs from that of the grandparents. And so the parents have prevented the grandparents from visiting. And it's really uh, an interesting question. And, you know, one that I'm sure does happen uh, and you might have seen in your practice. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is there something you know, you, you we don't have a lot of time left. And I just think, you know, it, it, is there something you would like to say uh, to potential clients about their approach to uh, child custody and visitation? I mean, one thing that it seems to me that some states are doing is making parents take mandatory uh, child um, 
classes, uh, you know, when they're getting divorced so that they understand that they really should both act in the best interest of the child. I mean, is there something that you would want to tell them uh, when they come to your office? Yes. Um, you know, I always try to tell clients, you know, usually situations like divorce and, and things like that in child custody, it's really emotionally charged. I just try to advise them, you know, I know that you're mad maybe at the other person, but try to put your child first. Try to put their best interest first because that's what the court's going to do anyway. So um, the court can order them to attend um child-rearing classes, communication classes. I think all of these are great options and great resources that that the court can provide to parents who are going through a divorce. And, and you know, communication is always a struggle. So I think that if, if those options are available, and if they're not, maybe seek them out for yourself, counseling. Um, these are all, all good things, and, um, you know, they're going to definitely be a positive impact on a situation that can sometimes be really negative. Catherine Shireman from the Seymour Law Firm, we've been so pleased to have you on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. We'll have a link to your law firm on our website. And as uh, when we've talked to people from your firm before, often there have been, uh, you'll have provided informational sessions. Do you still do that? Yes, we do. Um, I believe we have one coming up about what happens when your child turns 18. Um, our managing attorney, Tina Seymour Demoran, often holds these seminars um, about various legal topics. We just recently had one about um, landlord-tenant rights. Well, fantastic. We'll put a link to that and some of those dates up there. So that's going to wrap us up. Our call screener for today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer has been Jay White. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll stay tuned for Southern Remedy. It's This is in Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.